Hey, e-commerce marketers. Does this sound familiar to you? It's a Tuesday, so you've got to convert new website visitors, send out some perfectly personalized emails, create a few beautiful targeted ads for Instagram. And in between all that, you have to run a few A-B tests and quickly optimize a few new campaigns. With all that on your plate, it's no wonder that B2C marketers today are feeling the pressure. Well, I'm here to help. You're listening to the very first episode of The Empowered Marketer, the podcast brought to you by Zayas, the CRM built for B2C marketers. I'm your host, Kara Hogan. Since it's our very first episode, you're probably wondering, what the hell is this all about? Well, my goal is to create a podcast for marketers by marketers. That's right, I'm a marketer too. So in the coming episodes, I'll talk with top e-commerce marketers, B2C growth marketers, marketing agency leaders, and more, exploring real-world tactics and techniques to help you grow your B2C business. If you're looking for vague, inspirational ramblings, go elsewhere. If you're looking for actionable strategies to up your marketing game, get more creative, and be empowered to drive revenue, you've come to the right place. This is The Empowered Marketer. In our first story, we're tackling what might be one of the biggest fears in the e-commerce world, becoming a commodity. This is a serious danger for Mobovita, an e-commerce company that offers fashion, mobile, and travel accessories direct to consumer. The founders actually got their start in 2002 selling cell phone accessories right out of their apartment. They grew their business quickly year over year, growing right alongside the emergence of smartphones. One of the biggest drivers of the business has been paid search, and that's exactly how my first guest, Kenny Smith-Nanick, got his start. Now the director of marketing and business intelligence at Mobovita, Kenny wasn't always in e-commerce. He actually started his career in the world of politics. Yeah, so I started in digital marketing for political campaigns like six years ago. It was fun, but ultimately the, uh, the attribution between advertising and voting was so difficult and murky that I, I fled in favor of e-com, where it's easy to tell or much easier to tell which click led to which action and which order on the site. When I joined Mobovita a few years ago, I, I joined to run the paid search campaigns while doing that, I started and grew our Facebook campaigns so that it's now one of our, our top channels. Then I moved on to email. So basically, I've run all of the marketing channels at Mobovita. And at each one, I kept hitting roadblocks, feeling like I can't take this channel to the next level until I have more access to information. And that's where I transitioned in 2016 into a BI role where I could start growing or gathering all the different data sources, putting them into one place, and then making them accessible to the rest of the marketing team. So I focused on that all of 2016. So now we have a clear picture of customer lifetime value, which channels are driving the, the highest lifetime value, which products people purchase when, uh, or that, that signal that they're going to be high LTV customers, et cetera. So that's kind of how the, the marketing and BI combined. Since you focus a lot on analytics, could you tell me a little bit about how you measure success on your team? You know, besides the typical ROI metrics, what do you look at? We look at LTV, obviously lifetime value of a customer, usually over... Uh, 30 to 90 days. And the reason we do that is because uh, a five-year LTV at this point in our business isn't as meaningful as something that can be counted on to come back within a a single quarter. 
Um, so we have LTV. We also look at what category people are buying products from. So for my team, if they're able to, to drive efficient traffic, efficient meaning low cost per order, to products that are outside of our core cell phone accessories business, that's a, always a win because that, that shows true growth potential for the business. And then for individual team members, I always focus on learning new things and, and seeing that they're, they're trying new things that we haven't tried before, having original thoughts and executing on them. I think that's that's always important and that's what's driven the business in the past and will continue to drive it in the future. Yeah, that's a little harder to measure, but I, I do think it's important to have some things in marketing that you can't measure. Let's talk a little bit about paid marketing since that is a lot of your expertise. How do you guys approach paid on social and then also on search? On paid search, our, our strategy is we have to be ruthless in our attention to detail. There's so many keywords, it's really easy to experience this death by a thousand cuts situation where you're just losing a little bit of money across 100,000 keywords that only get one click a month. And if you're not paying attention to all the tiny little opportunities, it winds up drowning your whole account. So the most important thing for paid search is you kind of have to be OCD about maintaining the appropriate bids and destination URLs and ads and, and structure. Um, and then on Facebook, it's kind of more like the Wild West where we're trying very systematic strategies, but at the same time, we're trying things that are totally unheard of that we've never read about, that we've never tried before, because those things can sometimes take off and they'll do double what the channel's revenue had done in the previous two weeks in a single day if you hit on the right thing on Facebook. I feel like your approach to search is like scientific and very, very exact, whereas Facebook is much more creative. <laughs> like, is that really what you what it's like? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we first started Facebook, there were a lot of growing pains because we tried to we tried to execute the same uh, like scientific and precise methodology that we used on paid search on Facebook. But we weren't seeing any results. We were getting like one to one uh, ROI on all of our paid uh, Facebook. And then we started to break that out of desperation. Like, well, what can we possibly try to get it to work? And that's where we've kind of developed this really loose system that we have going now. I'd love to hear actually about a, a campaign that you did something really creative and it worked. What, what, what have you guys done? One of the ads that's worked really well is um, a photo ad, which is just similar to like the, the only type of ad that was available two or three years ago before carousel ads. We put the product and then we put you know the price and we put different colors on it and then we just made it a, a GIF. So I guess it was a video ad, but, but that's never really worked for us before because it's not specific enough. The key to our business is always making sure that we can target people based on their phone's branded model so that if we know you have an iPhone 6, we'll only sell you iPhone 6 products. But that obviously narrows the audience. So, um, But the single image ad that seemed old-fashioned and kind of behind the times on Facebook actually did really well and is still doing really well. So that kind of goes into my next question, which is how do you guys approach A-B testing? And how do you pick and choose what things you want to test? Yeah, so on the website where we're always uh, A-B testing, we have a list of ideas and then we go through them based on uh, how hard they are to execute, how how confident we are that they're going to lead to a lift, and then we rank them all by that by those by those metrics, and we just start going down the list of of tests that we're going to run. So, uh, an interesting test that we're running right now is we're, we're changing the way that we present pricing on our product pages based on some research that that one of our team members found that says that people obviously have a hard time comparing price differences in their head. So if you see regular price is $40, we're selling it for $10, it's hard to actually feel the difference in price there. You know it's $30, but what does that mean? So what we're doing is we made the, in this example, let's say we made the $30 price, the original selling price, 
twice as big as our price. So it's physically larger, and then our selling price is proportionally smaller, so you can just tell by the font sizes how good of a deal it is. Um, it's still early. It's only been running for about a week, but, but uh, the, both variations of that test that we've launched are winning over our control, which was pretty interesting. We, we didn't think it would, it would work because we've never – I mean, because it just doesn't make sense. Usually you put the price you're selling it at bigger so that people see that first. I mean, that's what's interesting about A-B testing is it's never exactly what you think the results are going to be. I've very rarely run an A-B test and been like, yes, I got the exact result that I thought was going to happen. So Usually it's the opposite where it's like pulling our hair out, trying to figure out why it didn't have, why it didn't work like we thought it would. And we were so confident. How do you think about customer new customer acquisition versus customer loyalty? And how do you encourage those new customers to actually become loyal customers? We always deliver the lowest total price on cell phone accessories. At the same time, we have the widest selection for all phone models, but also for the quote, like longer tail phone models, like ZTEs and Huawei's and things that are outside the top 10, you know, it's not, they're not Galaxy 8s and they're not iPhones. So the fact that we carry a wide range of compatible products for those phones helps bring people back because there's nowhere else for them to buy them with the same, um, you know, good website experience and very low overall price. As far as how we get new customers to place the order, we offer a lot of different discounts on the site. We've focused a lot on conversion rate optimization. So, I mean, just in the past five years, over time, we've gradually grown our, our, our site-wide conversion rate by 50, 60%. The whole reason we were able to do that is by adding value propositions on every page level, showing people that we have the, the best price and creating stuff like timers on the product pages to instill a sense of urgency to make them want to buy right now. And then it's through our emails that we get those first-time customers to come back and buy again, again, through heavy discounting and providing the best possible price for the products they're going to buy. Yeah. Speaking of price, I know that that is kind of a tough thing for specifically competing with Amazon, which can buy things in massive quantities and they get free shipping on everything. So this is a really competitive market. How do you guys either, do you compete with Amazon? Do you sell through them? How do you approach that? We're just starting up our, our Amazon selling uh, seller business. So that's still very, very new. The way that we've beat Amazon in the past is we focus 100% on cell phone accessories. And Amazon has, has their team focused on a number of different business units. We have to have perfect execution on paid search to beat out Amazon. They'll often be number one, and there's nothing we can do about that in some cases. But for product listing ads um, and, and for the keyword ads that we, that we do have, we just have to make sure that we're perfect. We're paying close attention. We're always A-B testing our ad copy to get the highest click-through rates. And on Facebook, it's all about presenting the right product to the right person. So I think our team is, has really kind of perfected this half science, half magic formula of figuring out which audiences and which product combinations work best to really scale up. Long story short, we perfect the marketing processes of our vertical, and that's really helped us compete against Amazon. I also heard that you guys just launched a new brand called Miss Minx, and I'm interested to hear about that since it sounds like it's completely outside of the phone world. It is, yeah. We've always considered our business's core competency to be direct digital marketing. And there was an opportunity that our CEO found to enter into fashion because we, we had the right contacts on the buying side. You know, we knew that we were all great digital marketers. So the pieces kind of fell into place where it was like, 
let's grow the business outside of cell phone accessories, take our core expertise and just and apply it to a new business. It's been challenging and still is challenging because it's a brand new brand. And one of the things that I even take uh, for granted sometimes is the fact that any pre-existing um, store is going to have some some juice to it that's going to increase conversion rate, help people find you, encourage people to buy that brand new brands have to struggle through. So Mismix is is going along, but it's still in this very, very, very early stage where we're we're trying to just ramp up. Um, and I think it's going to be a little while longer before we start to see the scale that we're that we're aiming for there. What's your biggest challenge um, kind of in the coming year? What's your focus for the future for the business? So we need to find a way to increase revenue per visitor to our site alongside with the rising cost of media. So Facebook's getting more expensive every day and so is Google. We need to uh, find a way to get more, more revenue out of each visitor to our site uh, in order to keep pace with that and stay as profitable as we've been. So obviously from that, there's a ton of things that just kind of trickle out or spiderweb off. But that's that's the key challenge is how are we going to keep increasing the value of a single visitor or a single email address to our site? And so obviously better and more personalization are going to come into play, more product categories, because surprisingly, there are there's a, a significant number of people out there who buy a lot of phone cases all the time. So there's some people that buy from us two or three times a week consistently. Um, they just have phone cases on phone cases on phone cases. But for everybody else, um, especially guys that typically they're the, on our side, at least they're looking for something slim and black and really cheap, maybe protective, but either way, low profile. What else can we sell these customers that still delivers a really good value is easy to shop for, but they might be willing to buy or might need to buy or want to buy more frequently than they buy cell phone accessories. So that's really our challenge this year. Yeah. I'm still not over the fact that people buy multiple times per week. Do they just like match them to their outfit that day? What are people doing? Do you know? Yeah. And they get stale. I mean, you're, it, it makes sense when you think about it because you're carrying your phone with you every single day. You can see how it could get stale uh, just having to look at the same case every, every day. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what happens. Uh, obviously, a lot of times pe- people buy for their friends, et cetera. But, um, but no, the, the core, the, the most valuable customer for us is the one that, that has like 10 um, phone cases at home and they're just always looking to buy more because then it's all about presenting them with another option that they like and they'll, they'll buy it. I'm not going to tell you how old my phone case is because it's embarrassing and I should buy a new one <laughs> from you guys. Probably. Um, I just have an iPhone six. I, uh, I'm probably going to upgrade to a new one soon, but, and that's why I was like, oh, I don't need to buy a new case. I'm going to get a new phone, <laughs> but it's kind of gross. So I should probably do that. I also like to wrap up the interview with just a fun question about uh, about you and kind of get people to know you a little bit more. What job would you have if you weren't doing e-commerce marketing? I would do this even if I wasn't paid for it because I love it. But if I wasn't working, period, I guess, and it, at this, I'd be a stay-at-home dad, which we'd call a full-time job, right? I have a son. His name is Fox. He's 13 months old. So I just hang out with him all day if I didn't have to, if I wasn't doing this. Oh, that's awesome. That's so fun. I love that answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. And uh, hopefully everybody got a real, a lot of information out of this conversation. Uh, and if they'd like to find out more, where can they go to learn more about you and the company? They can find me on LinkedIn. My last name is pretty unique, so that shouldn't be hard to find. You can check out CellularOutfitter.com, MobileVita.com, MissMinks.com, any one of these properties that we own. 
feel free to send me an email. My email is also on my LinkedIn. Um, happy to answer any questions or just talk talk through anything we talked about today or or other marketing stuff. I love talking marketing um, and and ecom, so I'm always available. Great, and yeah, we love marketers. We want to help marketers out as much as we can. Thanks for listening to our very first episode. I can't tell you how excited I am about this podcast. I would really love to hear what you thought of it. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Don't worry. You can tell me the truth. Just leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you prefer. I'd really appreciate it. Or you can send me an email directly at empoweredmarketer at zayus.com. That's Z-A-I-U-S. I swear I'll write back and I may even feature your question on air next time. Thanks again for listening to The Empowered Marketer brought to you by Zayas. And I'll talk to you again in just two weeks.